0: Just to summarize, Brene Brown gives a really helpful definition of the difference between guilt and shame, and she says, guilt is when you know I've made a mistake, and guilt is not always a bad thing. It's, also, it's often a really good thing, but shame is when you've made a mistake, and then you feel like I am a mistake. And so shame is all of the things that make us feel horrible about ourselves, uh, like at our core, we are failures. We are worthless. We do not matter. Uh, so that's, if you haven't been here, that's kind of a frame of what we're working with. Uh, so in the past few weeks, we've talked about all of these different sources of shame. And today we're going to talk about, okay, people, how what do we do with this? We're not just going to leave you in this shame. We're going to move through this and to see the power of Christ on your behalf to free you from shame. Um, so Thank you for coming. Thanks for staying in this room. It will probably get uncomfortable and that's okay. Um, But I promise I will leave you with hope on the other end. So stay with me through this and pay attention to how you're responding to it and what God's stirring up in you. So I'll pray for us and then we'll dig in. God, thank you for each person in this room. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the faces that I know. and thank you for all the people that are new and got up and came to this place today. And thank you for knowing all of our stories. Uh, thank you for holding all of our stories and all of the things that we've never shared with anyone, all of the things that we feel so embarrassed that are part of our stories. God, help help us to know that you see us and that you care about those stories and That you love us so much um, that you sacrificed everything so that we don't have to walk in shame anymore, uh, that you came not only to free us from our sin, from all of those mistakes, from all of that regret, but you also came to free us from our shame. And uh, this week we celebrate you and your walk through shame for us. Uh, The ways that you were tortured and beat and mocked uh, on our behalf so that we don't have to walk in the shame anymore. God, uh, show us where we're fighting you. Soften our hearts, Lord. Uh, Soften our hearts to see the truth about you and the truth about our stories. Uh, Pray for protection over this place. Uh, Lord, may it just be a place of peace um, where we get to celebrate together the goodness of you and your smile on our faces. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So for those action-oriented people who would like a goal, I'm going to give you a goal. The goal of the day is to leave here knowing how to begin to deal with your shame. We're not going to solve it all, but I hope that you have a starting place, and as you think about preparing for Easter and for Good Friday, that you have a place to start this week, and I hope that you carve out extra time to spend with God this week, reflecting on Jesus and what he has done for you. So, I have made you a little handout, again, for those of you who like action steps. If you do not like handouts, that's okay, I will not be offended, Um, but we're going to go through eight steps. about how to really start to take our stories and move from shame into freedom. Um, So I'll read the beginning paragraphs. Breaking through shame often feels like the fight for our lives, a long, slow trudge through slavery into freedom. Our prayer is that this would be the next step in your release, that the spirit would break through in your life so that you can declare, for freedom, Christ has set me free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take time to answer these questions and include others in the process. Expect resistance and difficult emotions as you surface painful details of your story. Go slowly if, you're, if needed. If you've experienced trauma, please make sure you have adequate support as you uncover shame in your life. i have been talking about this a lot. If you have a really intense story of abuse or assault, to really um, understand the impact of trauma, not only in our hearts, but in our minds and in our bodies. Um, so if you need help finding resources for that, please let us know. We don't, want sh- we don't want to stir up all of this stuff and then leave you to deal with all of your trauma by yourself, so uh, please, please ask us. Um, so today, what we're going to do is just go through these eight questions and I'm gonna answer the questions for myself, for you. Um, and you might ask, why Why are you sharing your story like this, Jackie? And there's three reasons. Uh, the first one is that Leaders must go first. I can't ask you to do this without doing it myself. And I'm not asking you, everybody, to stand up here um, and do the same thing. <laughs> so don't panic if people are leaving the first timers. they like, get me out of here, get me out. Um, so you don't have to be up here. But if I'm gonna ask you to go through this process, I think I, I believe that I need to do it first for you. Um, And I've been thinking and praying and crying for this community in the last few weeks. Uh, Apparently all of you have really crawled into my heart, um, but I, and we sat with the uh, women's group at Prayer Lab, and we just held each other's stories, and after that I was so burdened for us to be free. Um, That word just keeps coming up, I just want us to be free. Um, so, So that's one reason. The second reason is, I want to celebrate the work of God in my life. Um, this verse uh, on the next slide is, has been driving me, and it's from Galatians 5 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So if I was just celebrating my freedom, I would be in Bodega Bay right now. I would be on a day trip. I would not be here. But um, I feel like God's called me to serve in this way. Um, and this is one of my favorite quotes uh, from Anne Lamott, and she says, Toni Morrison said the function of freedom is to free someone else. And if you are no longer racked or in bondage to a person or a way of life, tell your story risk freeing somebody else. And so this is the risk I'm taking today. It is a big risk. It's not something I'm super excited about, but I'm doing it in hopes that one person will be more free by listening to my story. Um, Because the fight for shame has been the fight of my life and it might not be the fight of your life um, and you might be more free than I am. And so I want you to use that freedom to help free somebody else. Because there's somebody sitting next to you that isn't free. Um, And so I've been working through this for 15 years. And then seven years ago, I started studying shame. I went to a whole conference about it, which is, Laura's like, that is a really weird thing to do. Um, But I really love talking about it because it's brought me freedom. And seeing how much shame as a theme of scripture has brought me so much freedom. So... I'm not going to share happy ending to my story. I'm living it right now. Um, and it has, it's been brutal um, and it's been hard. So the third reason and the the thing that has kept me the most steady through this of why I'm sharing my story is that I feel like it's obedience. Um, I'll talk a little bit later about it what we're calling art camp. Um, I went to this photography workshop that people are calling it art camp um, a few months ago and God really laid this on my heart. So nobody asked me to do this today besides God. Um, this was um, my idea um, that he was stirring in my heart. So it's, it's about obedience, so. Are ready to have some fun? <laughs> this sound great, walking through shame. Who's sweating right now? I don't know. Um, <laughs> all right, we're gonna get freer. We're gonna get freer. So, the first thing uh, I'm gonna ask you to deal with is, what is the story of shame you tell yourself? And this is not just to stir up all of this painful stuff, it's so that we know in specifics what is your story of shame and I'm a little bit of a writing nerd, so I want you to title it. Um, My title is a little bit sad. It's called Memoirs of an Unloved Woman. Um, So it is in the genre of like a very poorly done lifetime movie with horrible acting. There's gray tones and there's absolutely no whimsy. It's just like, an incredibly boring, well, or horribly done movie. So um, so here we go. Breathe through it, people. This might be a little bit hard to hear, um, but there is a purpose to it, I promise. So, once upon a time, there was a girl named Jackie. She grew up on a farm in Illinois and always dreamed of getting married and being a mom. It was the only thing she ever wanted to be. Her small town and church were structured around families, and she never questioned if she was gonna get to have the same things. She didn't need other dreams, because she felt confident God would give her a family if he loved her. Jackie loved a boy named Aaron, and she thought he loved her too. They were best friends from first grade until high school. In eighth grade, some mean boys called her fat, and Jackie never forgot those words. She already hated her body, because she was bigger than the other girls. And after that day, she realized that boys thought she was too big too, and she hated her body even more. But she still loved Aaron and thought he loved her. Jackie's parents had been best friends for a long time before they got married, so she thought that was her story too. But then Aaron decided he loved a different girl, and then Jackie was all alone. In the next 20 years, the same story would play on repeat, four more times falling in love with friends four more rejections. She spent years and years weeping over each one, especially because her life and ministries were so intertwined with these people. When Jackie loves, she loves with her whole heart, and these were not shallow feelings. She believed that all those late night talks, all the secrets shared, all the soul connections meant something to each man. But she was horribly wrong. And at their best, these relationships had her as a permanent resident in the dreaded friend zone. (laughs) <laughs> At their worst, these guys didn't love her even as a friend but just were using her for emotional support whenever they wanted to unload. She was discarded easily with no acknowledgement when they found women they wanted to marry. The shame that came from the repetition of these stories almost crushed her. She spent nights sobbing alone and days choking back tears, the shame of being unloved threatening to drown her, the loneliness suffocating. There were moments and seasons when she begged God to let her die. Often when she got on an airplane, she hoped it would crash so she wouldn't have to decide to hurt herself. She wondered if she was so permanently damaged that she was incapable of real love. She wondered if she would always push good men away to keep chasing these charming, mysterious illusions. Everyone else seemed to have access to the club of the loved, everyone except her. She was a bridesmaid 16 times in 20 years. <laughs> it's not a joke. Uh, <laughs> I have the dresses if anyone wants to see. <laughs> she even had to give a toast at a wedding to a man she had been in love with. <laughs> this <is> bad. <laughs> yeah, oh, <sorry. laughs> uh, with every situation, very, very few people knew. And so she learned to put on a happy face, to be the clown, laughing and helpful so that no one would see the tears. She didn't think they would love her if she wasn't always sacrificing, always selfless. The rejections made Jackie feel believe that she was worthless. She was waiting for someone to tell her she was beautiful, waiting for someone else to tell her she had worth, and none of them ever did. Well-intentioned, people and books told her to repeat, I am enough, I am enough, until she believed it, that loving herself would heal this. And she tried and tried, but she had no love for herself. She hated herself so much that she could barely look in the mirror. Believing that if she did, black slime would spew out everywhere. She could fill pages with lists of everything she hated about herself and her body. When men rejected her, she thought, they are right. I'm so fat and ugly and too much and not enough. And of course, no one will love me. They see the truth. I am a person who is deeply unlovable. She tried to starve herself and make herself throw up, but she couldn't even do that long enough to have results. And so the shame almost swallowed her whole. To make it worse, it was twisted together with pride. Pride that believed her love was enough to save someone. That if only she sacrificed herself, surely she would be loved back. And so she gave endless hours and years attempting to love people who didn't love her. The regret haunted and tormented her, playing on a loop in her head, regrets of the decades wasted on these guys. And now Jackie was staring down 40, and the clock was ticking louder and louder causing terror and panic at the thought of being alone forever. She went to baby shower after baby shower, the dream of motherhood slipping farther and farther from her grasp. She spent years thinking that her life would only start after she was loved. Before she got too cynical, she daydreamed about her wedding, about the colors and the flowers and the music, She knew she wanted everyone to sing great is thy faithfulness because if she finally had a husband it would be proof that God saw the desires of her heart and been faithful to give her the gift of a husband. But no wedding came. Instead she grasped at the wind clinging to scraps of relationships believing she wasn't worthy of someone knowing her and seeing her and loving her. Jackie's hopes, dreams, and entire sense of self shattered. She had no idea who she was without a husband, without children. She didn't know who she was if she was alone. Jackie would never belong to the club of the loved. She was an unloved woman. All right, everyone exhale. All right, who feels sad right now? Raise your hand, all right. Who wants to come up here and shake me a little bit and like yell at me, anybody? (laughs) All right, all right, all right, yep, I see you, I see you, I see you. Um, Who wants, who wanted to run out of the room and stress eat a donut or just leave? Enneagram sevens, I see you. (laughs) Uh, All right. So, I ask you those questions to pay attention, because I want you to pay attention to your action, because what you're feeling when I'm sharing is probably gonna be what you're feeling when you start going through this. And the sadness, the anger, and the escape are gonna be what you're gonna wanna do. So I want you to pay attention to how you're responding, because it's gonna be painful if you do that. I cried the entire time I wrote that story, Um, so but I also want you to raise your hand if you could relate in any way to anything that I shared in that story. All right, look around. If you're in the front, look around, right? This is the power of sharing our stories is that almost all of you raised your hands, and this is the lie that the enemy tells us is that we are alone in the story, and I had to fight that again and again and again as I even wrote this down. So, um, So this week, it's your turn. (laughs) This is the first step, is understanding what your story is and where it comes from. The next question is, what does shame sound like? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And I want you to be as specific as possible um, because it changes all the time. This week, for me, shame feels like trying on swimsuits after eight months of winter <laughs> and realizing you needed more than that whole three you did. You needed like a whole 360 if you're gonna get ready for this. Um, shame sounds like all the people I've ever heard picking apart a sermon and telling me that I'm not exegeting the text well enough. Shame looks like having to look at myself in the eyes during yoga class. Um, I can't do it without crying. So I'm asking you to be specific, not because I want to cause you extra pain, but so that you can fight. Because the voices of shame that you are hearing on loop, that is the voice of the enemy. And shame is one of his favorite tactics. And he keeps us isolated and he keeps us in the dark. Um, Shame grows in secrets and it grows in isolation. So if you're having a hard time starting somewhere, um, on the next slide there's just a few questions. If you don't know where to start, just ask your to know about you. What moment of your life would you never want played on the screen behind me? <laughs> um, whose voice do you hear when you don't feel good about yourself? Is it your mom? Is it the person who assaulted you? Is it your boss? Is it your spouse? Is it your child? Um, and then what thoughts play on the loop in your head? Um, And again, guilt is different from shame. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 2, it talks about, I don't think it's 2 actually, but um, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there is a godly grief that we can have. If we have an appropriate amount of guilt for our actions and a restlessness until you make that right, that's actually your conscience, and so that's not necessarily shame. Our culture tells us never to feel guilty about anything, and that's not what we read in scripture. So, but what the enemy does is that he takes your regret about your mistakes, he takes your guilt, he takes your sin, and then he intertwines that with shame. And he says, You shouldn't be in this church. If they only knew what you had done, you would have to leave. So he takes real things and he twists them into shame. Um, And this is the shame, if you believe that God can't forgive you, if you've committed the unforgivable sin, that is the voice of shame. That is not the voice of guilt. Um, Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so... If you are feeling convicted and guilty about something that you've really done, listen to that voice. But once you make it right, and once you ask for forgiveness from God and from others, then you get to walk in freedom. So just really pay attention to try and untangle those things. Um, So the enemy also takes our real suffering and mixes it with shame. So he took my story and he said, it's my fault, it's your fault, Jackie. Um, especially if you're a victim of abuse or assault. The enemy takes shame and adds it to our unspeakable suffering. Um, So I'm asking you to be specific because we have to start unraveling. What is the voice of the enemy and what is the voice of God in your life? Um, So the next question is, how does the enemy use shame against you? This is especially important if you've never considered the reality of spiritual warfare. And I have passages there, and if you've never studied this, I would really encourage you to um, get into those passages this week and write down um, what, what do we know about the voice of the enemy. A few are that we know that he doesn't play nice. Uh, First Peter talks about how he prowls around us like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is not a nice person. Um, he uses real circumstances and flaws, and the words of others to accuse you. He's like a relentless lawyer screaming out your flaws. Um, And then in John, it talks about how he comes to steal and kill and destroy your life. He is against your good in every way, and he will try to take you down. And that's been happening to me. Um, And I'm not one just to be like, oh, that's the devil, that's the devil, that's the devil. But (laughs) in these months, it has gotten real and, and I have had to learn to fight in a very different way. Um, I think often we are either prone to being really paranoid that there's like spiritual attack around every corner and we live in fear of that or we're ignorant. Um, And so which way do you lean? Which way do you lean to start to realize the voice of the enemy in your life? Um, So how do we fight? Uh, We have to play defense and we have to play offense. If you watched March Madness, you watched how Texas Tech played defense, Um, I have weird basketball knowledge from being a cheerleader, Um, but if you watched how Texas Tech played defense, they played brilliantly, and they took down the Big Ten, um, Michigan and Michigan State, and so you can study them on a highlight reel if you would like, Um, but playing defense is guarding. It is guarding against the tactics of the enemy, and it's being prepared for it. We can't be passive, we have to be looking out for it. Um, For example, I know that most likely tomorrow morning will be really hard for me. I will wake up and think of all the things I should have said, and all the comments are gonna start playing on a loop. So I have to guard against that, Um, and I need a plan, and that's playing offense, um, and that's fighting. So you have to fight shame. This is active and not passive, you can't sit around on your sofa all day long and expect to be free. You have to fight. So I will, if I'm fighting, right? I will text my people, I have a thread called Team Jackie, and I will be like, these are all of the ridiculous things in my life that I am thinking right now, and I will text a bunch of different people that are both here and away. Um, I will decide if I need to be around some of those people or if I need to be outside, alone with God, um, and I will be excessively gentle with myself, um, because I will be tired, and so I will take that into account, um, and if needed, I will dance, <laughs> because dancing is one of the ways that I am free. So, um, you've got a guard and you have to fight, um, and you have to do that in really, really tangible ways, otherwise shame is going to choke you, um. So now we're getting to the more uplifting part, which is number four. Thanks for hanging in. Um, number four, what is the story of God bringing freedom into your life? And what's the title of that? I'm actually writing a book, so I get uh, an easy pass on this one, and it's called Life with Humans. Um, there's three working subtitles, so if somebody can give me a good way to summarize all of these, I will buy you dinner. Um, but right now... The working titles are Life with Humans, Welcome to the Party, Life with Humans, Good Luck. <laughs> and then Life with Humans, Why Love is Worth Breaking Your Heart. Um, so this one has some whimsy in it. This one is more like an indie film with really dark humor and a really good cast of characters um, and Wes Anderson-style styling. So um, obviously there's an animal band that does a folk soundtrack. You know, we're starting, we're starting to see what freedom looks like. So, um, So here's the story of freedom. This is the same story, but the freedom edition is a bit more fun. I did grow up on a farm in Illinois, and I always dreamed of getting married and being a mom. My world was structured around family, but part of the reason I wanted my own is because my family is one of the best parts of my life. Good men and strong women. They are a beautiful bunch of weirdos. Um, Here they are, some of them. Um, So this was, you can see my grandma in the middle. That's Grandma Dorothy. This was at her 80th birthday party. Uh, She wanted a show, and so she got a show. (laughs) Those are all of my boy cousin's chests that you are seeing um, with (laughs) faces painted on them. So um, I would like to say, on the record... (laughs) We were completely sober when we did this. Um, uh, and there were 12 people sitting in the audience, just all of our parents. <laughs> we rented out a school, kind of like this, and did it on a stage like this. Like, stage lighting, I mean, is just for no reason. This is the advantage of growing up in the Midwest when there's nothing to do but this. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Yeah, all right, I just lost my place. but. Um, All right. So that's my family. This is part of why I wanted a family. (laughs) Um, So uh, it's true. I loved Aaron. Uh, You can see a picture of Aaron. There's Aaron and I in first grade. Um, We were best friends from first grade to high school. We rode horses together and he became a veterinarian. Um, And I wish him well, but I am also not sad that I'm not in Indiana washing horses and discussing Uh, very conservative politics right now, (laughs) so that's what he likes to do. So, um, the next picture is, here is Jackie in... um, (laughs) This is Jackie in junior high. Um, I'm sorry to say that I have recently remembered that I referred to myself as Jackals, which I don't remember. (laughs) I don't remember that, but um, this is Jackals, and... Uh, I'd like to introduce you to her. Um, it is true that some boys who were insecure about their own journey through puberty did call me fat. That is true. That was damaging and kids are mean. Um, but I gave their voices so much power. And instead of talking about it, I swallowed it and believed it and internalized it. And that's why it grew so big in my life. So um, it was also around this time in life that I decided a good idea of how to cope with my desires for marriage would be to write letters to my future husband. Um, So, um, yes, uh, that is true, and I I thought they were hidden, but the word on the street is actually that some of these letters have just been found. So, because I love you so much, without further ado,
1: future husband, I am now a sophomore. I think about you a lot and wonder what you'll be like. I designed a dream house on the computer, but don't worry, I only need you. I am in cheerleading. Do you like the color lilac? I hope so, because I think that's our wedding color. Uh, uh, that's a good Are you a Christian? <laughs> I am. Last summer, I made the most important commitment of my life. and our marriage, commitment will be the second most important. I hope daily devotions will be a part of our life together. A guy just broke my heart, but I had it coming. I know you will never do that to me. We can talk about it. Some, we can talk about it sometime. Has a girl ever broken your heart? I hope you never go through that pain. Love ya, Jackals.
2: I think we have to give this a little context because this letter is written so that he can read this on their wedding night. So that's a context. Okay. Right. August 19th, 1997. Hello, again. Our first time together really alone. Here is my quote for the day. Love works in ways that are wondrous and strange. There's nothing in life that love cannot change. <laughs> Helen Steiner Rice. <laughs> in the past two weeks, Princess Di and Mother Teresa have died. <laughs> it is kind of eerie. Sometimes when I think Satan is around, I just yell, Satan! on the top of my lungs. I don't know why I just told you that, but I did. I wish we were together now, because guys at HHS are just too complicated and weird. But then I would be missing out on all the awesome lessons God is teaching me about him. I was at a wedding day today, and it was really pretty. I'm sure ours was just as pretty, though. I just wanted to let you know I'm here for you, babe. And I feel a bond already for the man you're becoming. <laughs> it is just reassuring that you are a Christian or will become one. As I watch my friends' parents' marriages fail, fall apart because they don't know God, always Jackie <laughs> on a beautiful stationery with a heart on it.
0: Oh. <laughs> All right, so we have a lot of questions for her, Um, but we also see that perhaps it was the kindness of God that he didn't give Jackal's marriage right when she wanted it. Um, Perhaps she was a bit obsessed and did not need to be subscribing to Modern Bride as a 17-year-old. So perhaps God was actually being kind and saving me from myself Um, because yes, The unrequited love story has played on repeat and I have wept buckets of tears over each of these guys. Uh, When I love, I love intensely and you have to kick me off your team if you don't want me to be on your team. Um, So this is one of the best parts about me but it's also where some of my worst parts come out um, because I think my love is enough to save people and so I self-righteously sacrifice myself to be them. And when I've had to let go, it has ripped out my heart, um, because I really do hate goodbyes. (laughs) The grief is real and deep, and it levels me to the ground. Um, And in the midst of the suffering, I have wanted to die, Um, and this is where I have most questioned God's goodness. I like to pretend it's because of genocide um, or evil dictators, but really it's because God has not given me what I feel so wired to be, and it's felt like, a curse instead of a gift of singleness. Um, I question him because hundreds of people have prayed for me, and yet there seems to be nothing. Um, I don't have answers to the questions, and I'm not guaranteed answers. Um, So there's not a happy ending right now. Um, And I really was hoping, you know, I'd be dating somebody great by this talk, but that... (laughs) That did not happen. Um, So I do want to show you uh, one more picture. And this happened, so I went to this art camp, and this woman, who's crazy, was like, write down everything you don't like about yourself. Go. This was the first night we got there. And so we're all like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Um, But we we did it. And then she said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to take pictures of you and show you what is beautiful. Um, So my list was really, really long, but um, this is the picture she took the next day. Um, And what's cool about this picture is that one of my life verses is, uh, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this is uh, what we talked about at the workshop, being a visual anthem. Uh, this is how I'm free, is looking up, not in a mirror, not at anyone human. Uh, I don't feel anyone's eyes on me in this. I am dancing and there are rainbows. (laughs) I'm looking up to the promises of God covering me to give me identity and worth. And this covering is my only shot at freedom. Uh, This is my only shot at having a radiant face. So it's the looking at God that helps me love people. And the biggest surprise when I was writing this story is that I realized I don't actually regret loving these guys. I regret the years I spent trapped in shame and how I listen to that, and the self-loathing. And I I have regret, but I don't regret trying to keep my heart open to love. And um, I still cry for all of these people, um, and I really, really want their good. And I cry when I don't see them living in that freedom. Um, They're beautiful souls, and I'm proud to know them. Um, So I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting to say, that love is worth breaking your heart um, because of how it changes us and makes us more like God. So this is the miracle of freedom. Uh, this is the miracle of Jesus loving us so much. Um, and I hope I got to show these men Jesus. Um, and I hope you see Jesus in this story that his covering, that God's covering is the only way that I'm free. Um, so thank you for journeying with me. Um, The next three questions on there um, are are places for you to go to ask yourself um, what of God's truth do you need, what does freedom look like for you, and who's on your team um, fighting for your freedom. You can't do this alone. So we're going to spend a little time reflecting um, now. The band can go ahead and come up, and I just want you to spend a little time with God um, thinking. And then at the end, we're gonna sing two songs. Um, And one is about, basically about the party that we're gonna get to have in heaven, Um, because I love parties and I love this promise of what is coming. And then the next song we're gonna sing is Great Is Thy Faithfulness, um, which is the song I've always wanted at my wedding. And I don't know if I'm gonna get that moment Um, But I love you so much, and you all have been part of God's faithfulness to me. Um, How you shared your children with me, how you've let me uh, into your lives, um, how you've loved me, the women who have stood with me and cried with me, um, and the also the good, good men that are in this church that have been such good brothers to me and friends. So um, so I want to share that moment with you because God has been faithful to me, and that doesn't start just when I get married. So um, thank you uh, for listening, and just go ahead and close your eyes, and I'll lead us in this next part. you to ignore the stares of anybody else and just imagine Jesus is here with you and he's asking asking you do you want to be free I did the walk of shame so you didn't have to the story of shame the cave you've been living in and all that regret It doesn't have to be your story anymore. If you trust me, if you believe I cover you, then you can be free. I gave my real blood and my real body to be tortured, so you don't have to torture yourself. I let myself be slandered and hated, so you don't have to carry the hate of people who hated you, and beat you, and harmed you. I'm not a metaphor. I'm a real human who loved you beyond what you could fathom. Do you want to be free? Then you have to give me control. You have to surrender. You have to admit you can't free yourself. And it's going to hurt. I promise you will become joyously sane because your world will no longer be supremely about you and your pain. In my story, you matter. Your story matters. But my story makes you just the right size. Don't cheapen my sacrifice for you by carrying around your chains. I have unlocked you, but you have to shake them off. Are you ready? Are you ready to be healed from all of this? Ready to let me come close to you so that I can make you beautiful, so that I can have the last word? Those who look to me are radiant. spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So just take a moment and ask yourself,